The Keep Birth Wild podcast acknowledges the Wurundjeri people as the traditional owners and custodians of the land, sky and waters on which this project is produced, and we pay respect to Elders past, present and emerging. We extend this respect to all First Nations people on whose country we live, birth and raise children. We acknowledge the ongoing leadership, resilience and commitment of First Nations people who continue to fight for their right to safe and culturally appropriate experiences of pregnancy, birth and postpartum, and we commit to continuing to explore our own role in that journey. Lastly, we honour and celebrate the ancient birthing knowledge and practices that have existed on this country for thousands of years. May this wisdom continue to nurture life for many generations to come. Welcome to the Keep Birth Wild podcast. My name is Indy and through this series I'll be speaking to women who plan to birth their babies at home. Join me to hear home birth mothers sharing their stories of pregnancy, birth and postpartum. In this episode, Alice shares the story of her daughter Luna's birth. Alice is a midwife and calm birth instructor herself, and we talk about how that experience informed her choice of care provider and place of birth. She also speaks to what she's learned from private home birth midwives that challenged her existing views and how her birth helped to develop her understanding of better care for pregnant and postpartum mothers. Luna's birth was very fast, and Alice and her partner had to improvise once they realised how quickly things had progressed to make sure that there was a midwife and ambulance at the birth. She suffered from an anterior perineal tear and explains how she was aware of the tear occurring during the second stage of labour and tried different positions to avoid it. You can find a video of baby Luna having her first breastfeed on Instagram, so make sure you check that out. It's just beautiful. And I'll let Alice share her story. Hi, Alice. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. How are you? I'm great. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> it's a pleasure. Um, would you like to start by sharing a little bit about yourself and your family? And um, we were just chatting before and you're a midwife as well. So if you'd like to share a little bit about your work and yeah, what you've been up to during this last year during COVID. Yeah, well, I've been lucky enough to be in Melbourne working in the hospital system during COVID. So that's been an experience and a half. But I am based in Melbourne, like I said, with my husband and my daughter, Luna, who is coming up to being, she's almost two now, and I'm currently pregnant with our second baby. Oh, wow. Congratulations. Thanks. (laughs) I love the name Luna. I've actually, I've got a horse called Luna and my daughter's called Alice, so we must have similar taste in names. Yes. It's a really similar dog name. It's really um common dog name. Whenever we go to the dog park, there's always people there screaming for Luna. <laughs> yeah. I've got um I've got a dog called Rosa, and I'm like, oh, I used up that name on a dog, and I really actually would love that name. For a yeah, while. that's a great name. <laughs> uh, um, and we might go back to your pregnancy with Luna. How did that come about? Was she a planned conception? Yeah, so we had just gotten married. We got engaged quite quickly and then got married about a year later and we're very much focused on having a baby, buying a house and doing all those things. That's just sort of the path that we were on. And it felt like it took us absolutely forever to conceive her. Well, it, my partner's very relaxed. It felt like it took me forever to conceive her. And I think it only took us like two months or something like that. But obviously just trying for a baby does not come naturally to me. <laughs> Um, but 
yeah, so she was really, yeah, it was, yeah, I think maybe a, I had really short cycles, so it was maybe only our third even try of having a baby, of like conceiving a baby, and she came along and, yeah, it was a pretty stock standard pregnancy, sick for the beginning and just like exhaustion like I had never felt before in my life. Mm. Um, but like, yeah, really low risk and no complications or anything like that. We were incredibly lucky. Yeah, great. And prior to your pregnancy, had you thought much about whereabouts you'd like to birth and um, and kind of what you'd like your care to look like? Yeah, I was very clear in that. Um, I had worked at a hospital that had a home birth program at, like as part of the hospital and I had been at one of my friends who's also a midwife. She'd had a home birth and I had been there helping her with her older child and I just knew that I 100% wanted to have a home birth. Um, and when I had worked at the hospital I used to work at, I had worked with a midwife that was going into private practice at that time, and I'd always said, you will be my midwife. So when I have a baby, I'll come and find you, and you can be my midwife. And so that's exactly what I did as soon as I got pregnant. <laughs> Amazing. Yeah. I'm curious to know whether, had you sort of not had that connection with her um, prior to falling pregnant, whether you would have opted for private or public home birth care just from well, your perspective kind of knowing me, like the most important thing was having like the continuity of care and where I live none of the local hospitals like that I would be in the catchment area for have even like a midwifery group practice program so like I didn't have any option for continuity of care so and that was the most important thing for me and like all the research shows that that gets you the best outcomes and I just couldn't access that through the public system locally to me. So, yeah, there was no choice in it to get the care that, like, the gold standard care, I had to go private for it. Mm, yeah. Yeah, amazing. Yeah, and so you mentioned that you had a pretty stock standard um, kind of pregnancy all the way through. Um, do you want to describe a little bit about what your care looked like if your midwives had, um, like, a practice and a yeah. clinic and you went there or did they come to your home? They have a practice. I'm based in Melbourne and they're based out in Hillsville. So I travelled out to them for the appointments. Um, so I probably didn't have quite as many as what they would ordinarily have with their women just to avoid having to make that hour or hour and a half or so commute that it sort of took me to see them. Um, is, that, um, is that Robin and Lisa? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they were my midwives too actually. Ah. <laughs> I live in Hillsville. <laughs> Far more convenient for you to use them than it is for me. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, sorry, um, go on. But, yeah, so I would travel out to see them at the clinic and um, the appointments were always super relaxed and my partner would often come with me and we'd just make a day trip of it. We'd either like, go for a hike or go out for lunch and we just always, yeah, made it like a nice, like, full day event when we would see them. But... It was really mainly just focused. I mean, it, everything was so fine for my pregnancy. It was really just focused on kind of building that rapport and getting us both really ready to be in the mindset for a home birth. Mm, and yeah. they were really good at including, like when you're a midwife yourself, it's really easy to just, you know, act as your own midwife or just I've got like all my closest friends are midwives. So just ask them for advice and questions of like the stock standard care that we would normally give in the hospital. And they were really good at sort of making me question 
all the things that I would just take for granted that would happen. And they would, yeah, they just sort of really encouraged me to be informed and question why I would do the things that I was happy to do. And yeah, I found it really educational, even as a midwife. <laughs> mm. Was there any kind of, um, you know, any tests or anything that you opted not to have done that was different to what you would have expected or, or that you chose to do that you weren't planning to? No, I think last time I did pretty much all like the stock standard testing, um, but like it, this time I'm not going ahead with like the with the glucose, the diabetes testing or anything like that. Um, and the only other thing was that for like in the hospital system, we our inductions are stock standard at about ten days post the due date, and that's just at the hospital that I work at, and so. For me, I was like, I've got no interest in going beyond 10 days. <laughs> and they were really, like, I didn't ever made it that far, but they really from early on were like, oh, you need to challenge that because normal pregnancy goes for 42 weeks and that would be our standard. So there was, like, a lot of conversations about stuff like that that just, yeah, they I would go back and do my own research and we would either meet in the middle or, yeah. <laughs> Mm, yeah, and that's so amazing to have that time and rapport to be able to have those conversations in advance so that later on if you are faced with the, you know, a situation of going that far overdue, you've kind of already worked out and processed a bit of a bit of that. Um, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, amazing. Even just for my partner to have, like, I could give him that same information, but it doesn't really carry any weight when it comes from your wife or when it comes from your wife's friends. When it actually comes from the care provider, he was like so attentive and listened to all their advice different to what if I had said it to him myself <laughs> yeah totally <laughs> it carries a lot more weight coming from someone else <laughs> yeah I'm not even a midwife and I can relate to that <laughs> <laughs> oh. and um with my birth with Robbie and Lisa they I um they kind of slotted the birth education into the appointments did was that how it worked for you as well or did you choose to do any external classes yeah, I mean, before, like up until I got pregnant, I actually was teaching calm birth. So they were quite respectful that I already sort of had that knowledge and the expectation that I was sort of how I would prepare for my baby. And one of my friends was teaching calm birth classes. So we still went and did a whole weekend calm birth class, even though I already knew all the content. For me, it was still important to go through that same process and do all the relaxations and do all the breathing practice myself rather than as a practitioner. Mm. And, and your partner to be there as well. Oh, absolutely. Look, he loved it. He slipped through every relaxation. Every <laughs> <weekend>. <laughs> he found it incredibly relaxing, but he, um, he does CrossFit and there was a CrossFit competition on that weekend. So it was a bit of a, big decision for him to choose not to compete and to come to the classes, but he had no regrets after it. <laughs> uh, the first of many sacrifices for the child. <laughs> Very much so. <laughs> so, yeah, so um, how many weeks were you when you went into labour? I was the day before my due date. Mm. So and all the conversations and... about induction that, you know, <laughs> were completely pointless in the end. <laughs> yeah. That's good. You didn't have to wait and worry past your due date. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> and and how did labour kick off for you? What were some of the early signs? Um, the day before 
I think I had seen Lisa maybe two days before I had the baby and she had said that she had known I was going to have the baby pretty soon, but she didn't say it to me at the time, which is probably sensible because her head was already so low in my pelvis that she couldn't feel it at all. And she, she just had this feeling and she'd said to Robbie after like, you know, we're going to meet that baby in a few days. And then, then I'd been really active throughout my whole pregnancy and like was still going to the gym towards the end and walking every day. And I just woke up the day before I went into labour and I also had plans to meet a friend for a walk and it was going to be like, I don't know, maybe 40, day, 40 degrees or so. And I just woke up and thought, no, nah, I just can't be bothered, which was not really like me at the time. So I cancelled the walk and just sort of stayed at home and I think tried to do everything I possibly could to get myself into labour that day. I had like a Clary Sage bath and I rubbed Clary Sage on my belly and I drank bucket loads of birthing tea and I did all the things and then in the afternoon I was like this is pointless like it's not going to happen and we invited my mom around for dinner and had this really nice night of just accepting that all right look you can't control it you're probably going to go past your due date and I was due on the 1st of February and I had this real fixation the whole pregnancy that I wanted to have my baby in January not February because if I went to February I would go past my due date and then I'd probably be miserable (laughs) And so I just hit this point of accepting that, okay, January's over. (laughs) I'm going to have a February baby. It's fine. I'll just deal with it. And then when I woke, I woke up at maybe midnight that night and I woke up to a pop and I had been thinking for, you know, weeks whenever I'd get up and go to the toilet in the middle of the night, well, maybe my waters will have broken. I was lying in bed thinking, did my waters just break? Like, did I hear that? (laughs) Is that even a thing that you can hear that? And so I got up and went to the toilet, but there was no water coming out. So I just sat there for like a little while. And then when I got up to come back to bed, all the water started gushing out. So the pop must have woken me up, but yeah, it just didn't come out for a a few minutes after. Very bizarre. Mm. Yeah, maybe just had to shift around a little bit. Yeah, I just wasn't expecting there to be like an actual audible pop that would wake you up. Yeah, that's amazing. And maybe it's like a little bit of like you could feel the sensation in your body and like your body yeah, a little bit like confusion between like, yeah, the <laughs> sensation and the sound or something. Yeah. 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 Um, but I just messaged Lisa and told her what was happening and said that I was going to try and stay awake until I could feel the baby move, but I would just go back to bed. And I must have just literally... You would think you would be so excited you couldn't sleep, but I must have just fallen straight back to sleep because I woke up a few hours later to a message being like, oh, hey, like, have you felt the baby move? <laughs> and I was like, oh, sorry. I, like, totally sort of forgot about that and just went back to bed. Um, but I started waking up a few hours after that with kind of cramps that would wake me up, and then when I would get the cramp, I would feel like I needed to go to the toilet. So I was sort of up and down for a few hours. And then about, I think maybe 3 a.m. or so, so a few hours after my waters had broken, I just wasn't very comfortable in bed. So I just got up and started, like, cleaning the house. And, you know, at the end of the pregnancy, you don't sleep that well anyway. So my partner had kind of woken up. I've been like, oh, well, she's unstacking the dishwasher at 3 a.m. That's, you know, (laughs) I guess that's what's happening. (laughs) And he'd gone back to sleep. And I set up, like, a little... I, we didn't have a birth space or anything set up. I didn't want, like, sound sleep. I didn't want the clutter in my house for weeks and weeks. We had only just moved in, so 
our house was, you know, that nice and clean feeling that you get when you just move into a house and everything's exactly where it should be and I didn't want a pool set up in the middle of our living room. <laughs> so I just got up and started, like I made a little space for myself and got out like the birth ball and was just sitting on that. And like the contraction started coming a bit more frequently and Lisa had messaged me at maybe... 3.30 or 4 and ask if I wanted her to come around. She just had a feeling that she should come. And I was like, no way. Like, I haven't even woken up my husband. Like, I'm totally fine. It's, like, very early stages. Like, you should get some sleep. But I didn't realise that neither her or Robbie could sleep and they were messaging each other all night saying, maybe we should just go. Should we just go and turn up? <laughs> <laughs> they both just had, like, epic intuition that they should be there. And I was completely unaware. <laughs> But from about, I think maybe 4 a.m., I felt the need that, like, Andrew should get up and blow up the birth pool and just, like, physically get, like, we had all, like, boxes with the home birth stuff but, like, packed away in the garage. I was like, you should get up and go and get all those things and bring it into the house. But I was still pretty comfortable. Like, it was getting more intense but, like, still chatting in between and everything like that. And I wouldn't have said it was, like, actual active labor I would have still said it was early labor and he like completely surprised me in that he just did everything perfectly and I was mid contraction he was like I'm just letting you know I'm going to use a nail gun and he had <laughs> taken everything from the car birth class to heart in the fact that it has to be really private and we have a window next to our front door that's not covered and he just at 5 a.m. or 4 a.m. was like nail gunning a towel over the window so that <laughs> no one could see inside. And we're in like a pretty secluded back unit. Like I don't know who would be looking through the window. But anyway, <laughs> he really took the preparation to heart. And yeah. in calm birth, they talk about like having all like your labour toolbox, like everything in your toolbox so you can like get out your different tools to help you through the labour. I was kind of in this mindset of like the the birth pool would be my ultimate. That would be like the last tool. So I would use everything else that I could use before I got to the birth pool. So he set it up, but we didn't fill it or anything like that. And I asked him to fill our, we had just moved into a, this place that has got this hilarious, massive peach spa bath. <laughs> and I had tried to clean it because like spa baths have got all the pipes yeah yeah they're a bit gross aren't they (laughs) yeah they are and I had spent a lot of time like in the weeks before the birth trying to deep clean the pipes of this spa bath including all kinds of ridiculous methods of boiling water and many chemicals and in the end we ended up taping plastic bags over all the jets so that the water in the bath couldn't go in the pipes (laughs) Because I was so paranoid about the like the dirty pipes. Yeah. So he got all that set up for me. And it was maybe like five AM and I got in the and it was really quite intense by then, but when I got in the bath it slowed right down. So Andrew went back to bed and I just labored in the bath for a while. Within maybe half an hour it was like super intense and I was it's like such a mental game but I was starting to think like there's no way no I can do this for you know 12 16 hours like how do women possibly do this for that long it seems absolutely impossible and so I did like a sneaky 
internal check on myself and I could feel that my cervix was only maybe three or four centimetres dilated, but the head was really low. So I was like, okay, it is going to be, you know, 12 or so more hours. You've just got to find a way to get through it. And pretty quickly, like within sort of 10, 15 minutes, and like maybe just before six o'clock, I'd gone and working, I got out of the bath, working Andrew up. I started to feel like I was like I was vomiting. It felt completely out of control, and I felt like I was starting to need to push. But I'd just done the internal check, so I knew that I couldn't actually need to push. The classic midwife brain taking over of <laughs> trying to rationalise what I was feeling. And so I asked Andrew to call the midwives and asked them to come, and he did exactly what I told him to do. And he said, "Hold on, let's time the contractions first, and let's try breathing. Why don't we try a shower?" And my patience <laughs> at this point was pretty low, and I was like, "Just call them, please. Just call them." <laughs> There's no time for that. <laughs> I think we timed like one contraction. I was like, "This is ridiculous." <laughs> um, and I was like really feeling like I needed to push, and so he. We tried a few different things, but we, I got back in the bath and he talked me through the contractions and every time I would blatantly push and every time he would say, baby did such a good job not pushing, we'd both look at each other and <laughs> was like this giant elephant in the room that we both knew that I was still <laughs> pushing. <laughs> oh, it's so sweet though. <laughs> um, and then in my mind, because it was so early in the morning, I had sort of, God only knows why, but I had convinced myself it would take them an hour from when we rang the midwives to them arriving at that house. It's never taken me an hour to drive to Hillsville. It always takes me longer. So where I pulled that from in the middle of my labour is completely beyond me. But about maybe 45 minutes after we rang them, I had done like a really massive push and I had felt like there was pretty much like head on view. The head was so low, was just sitting right there. And so we rang them back and asked, like, how far off they were and at least happily said that they were still an hour away. Oh, no. <laughs> At that point, I completely lost the plot. <laughs> and they were on the phone saying, oh, just try and do, like, horsey breathing so that you're not pushing. And I was just <laughs> motioning to Andrew, hang up, hang up the phone. <laughs> I was like, I can't have anyone telling me not to push. I was like trying to explain, like, the head is right there. It's just I can't physically not push at this point. And so they, from the car, rang an ambulance for us when they realised that I couldn't fight it for that period of time. Even if they probably had said half an hour, it would have been more achievable. But hearing that they were an hour away, I was like, oh, I know I'll have this baby before you get here. Mm. And so they rang an ambulance. But then we had, so I had Lisa on the phone to me and I think initially Robin was on the phone to the ambulance, but then the ambulance wanted to speak to Andrew. So we had both phones going on speaker at the same time. <laughs> in our, I had been in the bath with all the duct tape and the plastic bags. So I had got out of the bath. And we're in our bathroom with both phones blaring on speakerphone. And, like, women often go to that really relaxed sort of, like, labour state and nothing could have pulled me out of that quicker than having both phones on speakerphone. Mm. And the ambulance was, like, trying to tell us to find towels so I could lie on my back to deliver the baby. 
And so I'm saying to Andrew, I was just motioning him to him the whole time for him to hang up both the phones. So he was trying to keep me happy <laughs> and keep the people on the phone happy by not hanging up. And eventually Lisa got to the point that I was like, she understood, but I just couldn't, I couldn't concentrate on what she was saying and what the ambulance was saying and what my body was saying. So they hung up and left us on the phone to the ambulance. And then it occurred to me that one of my friends lives around the corner who's also a midwife. So I asked Andrew to hang up and call her because I figured that she could get to her house quicker than an ambulance anyway. And she had had a home birth. She'd had two home births by this point. So I was like, that's, and she was the same friend who actually had done our calm birth classes. I was like, that's who we need here. We don't need any of this other stuff. You just need to call her. And Andrew is just so blase and relaxed. He rang her and was like, hey, how are you? <laughs> it's like <laughs> seven o'clock in the morning. She's like, hey, like, what is going on? Are you ringing me? And he was like, it's just that, like, Al's having the baby and she's just wondering if you can come. And he was trying to walk out of the room so that she didn't, like, have to hear me pushing. I was like, get back, give me the phone. And I gave her a full, like, midwife to midwife handover. <laughs> so I was like, the head is at first two. It's this head on view when I'm pushing. I've had a very fast birth. I really need you to come. <laughs> and so she came racing around in her pajamas. And she arrived pretty much at the same time as the ambulance, which was really good because she just sort of came in and took control of the phone so that Andrew didn't have to worry about speaking to the ambulance. And she also just sort of said to the ambulance, like, we're not going to do that. Like, she's not getting on a stretcher. She, like, you don't need to go and get it. Like she just sort of explained to them why they were there because the Ambers really didn't understand what they should be doing, which is fair enough. Like they don't come into that home birth environment very often. And they were sort of trying to figure out a medical history and figure out what I wanted. And I had a head sort of half out. (laughs) Um, But I also didn't want to let them know that she was a midwife because I didn't want her to feel like she had that, medical responsibility because she's a hospital midwife like me I didn't you know we didn't have any of the equipment or anything like that there so I just told them that she was a friend and she sort of looked at me and was like you know you felt the baby move right like obviously her hospital brain was also kicking in thinking like this we haven't checked the baby's heart rate <laughs> all of those things and I was like no I haven't felt the baby move I was like I've been focused on labor she was looking at me she's like okay great <laughs> this is the situation that we're in um but as the like head was starting to crown I could feel myself starting to tear and it was like really like anterior tearing so not in my perineum but a lot higher up and I just kept looking to her and saying like this just isn't right like I can't push past that like the labor had been super intense but the pain of the tearing was I was like it just felt wrong and so she chose trying like to heat up hot face washes to put it on to see if that would help and it kind of helped but like not really enough. So every time the head would start crowning, I would just pretty much suck it back in and just flat out refuse to push. Then we're sort of in this hilarious situation where I was apologizing to the Ambos for it taking so long. <laughs> but I was also saying to her, I was like, there's something wrong. Like I can't push it out. It just it's like it's it's tearing and it shouldn't be tearing where it's tearing. And she eventually just looked at me and said, like, so patiently, it is tearing and it's probably going to tear. And at some point you have to push past it and we've probably hit that point. And as soon as she said it, I was like, 
I've probably known this for the last 10 minutes, <laughs> but having someone else say it to you makes a lot more sense. <laughs> and we had seen like little bits of blood like dropping onto the floor. So like it was obvious that I was tearing, but, mm. and I had tried every position. I was like a flea. I had like tried kneeling and sitting on the toilet and we had like, my grandma randomly had a, like a wooden birth stool. So we had, my husband had like repaired that so I could try that and, I'd tried being on one knee. I'd literally tried every position. I like I couldn't sit still. So eventually I just stood up and she said, said to me, like, you've just got to do it. So with that on board, I pretty much just pushed past the pain. And it was like the whole birth was fine other than that final moment of having to push past the tearing. Mm, and it's been um, psychologically hard as well. Like given being no able to hold it back and then having to make that choice to push through. Exactly. And I actually had like a small tear in my perineum and I did not feel that at all. Like I, you could have said like I wouldn't have had a clue that I had torn there. All I could feel this was tearing higher up. Mm. And so I ended up giving birth standing up and Andrew had really wanted to catch the baby. It's what we'd been saying the whole time that he was going to put on his mitts and catch the baby. And so he caught her behind me and after her head was born, she was already starting to cry. So I didn't bother waiting for another contraction or anything. I was over it by that point. I just <laughs> pushed her out. <laughs> and she was all completely wrapped up in her cord and I could hear her screaming and we didn't know the gender. So he had delivered her behind me. And she was slippery and wet and had, like, the cord around her neck and around her shoulder and, like, around the leg as well. And so he just completely froze. He'd been so relaxed for the whole process. And all I could say was, give me the baby. Someone give me the baby. (laughs) And he just couldn't move. He was completely frozen. So (laughs) my beautiful (laughs) friend's there going, just try and pass her through her legs. Like, just push her forward. (laughs) He's like, I don't know how. I can't. I don't know how. (laughs) I can't. (laughs) I was just screaming, someone give me the baby. (laughs) And so eventually I sort of leaned over and he like pushed her through my legs. And to be fair, like babies are super slippery and there's blood and everything dripping out. So like he he didn't understand that like that's the direction she had to go. (laughs) But he had been like pretty impressed by the birth. (laughs) He said after that seeing me reach down and grab that baby with one hand and unwrap all the cord from (laughs) around the neck with my other hand and lift her up and cuddle her, he was like, that was just superhuman. He was. <laughs> he thought that he couldn't even move with the baby and then I would just reach down and grab it with one hand. <laughs> you got very experienced hands. <laughs> I was like, yeah, I've done that before. <laughs> but then once I saw that she was a girl, I went from just repetitively saying someone give me the baby to saying, like, it's a girl, it's a girl, it's a girl, because I had been so convinced that she was a boy for the entire pregnancy. Mm. And it was like the complete shock of my life and our midwives arrived like a minute or two minutes after she was born in the end and so they walked in to this like chaotic joyful scene of me just screaming about the fact that she was a girl and three male paramedics standing sort of outside the doorway having absolutely no idea what they should be doing (laughs) and I just kept saying to Lisa Lisa it's a girl it's a girl and Jim and she just looked at me she was like Honey, I've known all along it was a girl. (laughs) (laughs) 
And I was like, oh, yeah, that's true, actually. Because she found out from, like, my blood test at 10 weeks. So she had literally known the entire pregnancy. It was oh, no surprise to her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> wow. Um, it sounds like, um, yeah, I mean, it sounds pretty chaotic towards the end. Did you feel like you were at all still able to kind of stay in that calm birthing headspace or were you just pretty um, kind of in your brain and um, aware of everything going on? Yeah, I was really super aware of everything going on. Like even like the paramedics tried to make chit-chat about like the last births that they'd been at and one of them was twins and like they asked us at one point like, oh, do you want me to like heat up a towel? And I was like, yeah, that's a good idea. I just like was having these ridiculous conversations that were unnecessary to the birth, I guess, but because I was just like felt like that would be the polite thing to do. But we didn't have a dryer, so how they thought they would heat up the towels. So we had this whole conversation about what method they should use to heat up the towels. And in the end, I was like, you know what? It just doesn't matter. Like, the baby would be fine without a hot towel. Yeah. (laughs) And they really didn't know sort of what we expected from them. And so I sort of had to sort of come out of that birth space to say to them like I've got the drugs in case I bleed but they're in a locked container in my fridge so like you guys need to go to your ambulance and get yours and it's a planned home birth that I knew I was on here so you need to go and get your resource equipment because I don't have any here and like direct them to like the table that we had set up for the midwives to use so Mm. all those things was like it didn't really matter at the time but it was I wasn't in that really like relaxed inward space at all I was very much like outward yeah yeah how, how long was the labor all up maybe two Active hours maybe. two hours wow and so I, like and I actually pushed for probably over an hour of that wow yeah yeah so really quick yeah super quick um and like Andrew had asked me maybe an hour before she was born if he should go to work that morning <laughs> I don't think so like <laughs> Um, yeah, and it goes to show, like how, like when you were saying that you did the internal check and you were three to four centimeters, like just how yeah, completely things can change. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, mm. But and I had been like pretty focused and stuff for the actual labor, but as soon as the baby was out, the, the contractions didn't actually stop, so I still was having them for the placenta, and I just could not cope with that at well at all. Like I felt completely ripped off by that, and the cord was rubbing exactly where I'd torn. So I, the midwife, like, helped me back into our bed so that they could, like, I guess wait for the placenta and I could just cuddle the baby and things like that. But I was incredibly uncomfortable in that position because of the cord. Mm. And so I was, like, pretty much writhing around on the bed and couldn't, like, I just couldn't even really enjoy holding her. And I know how important it is for babies to, like, stay with their mums for that first hour until they're breastfed. And all I could think was, like, Andrew, just take the baby. <laughs> just You take it. I'll have that time later. But because she was still connected to the placenta, it's not, like, practical for her to really go anywhere but with me. So Robin came up with the idea that if I sat on the toilet, like, the cord would fall away from the tear rather than rub into it. And so even though I had just given birth standing up and walked into our bedroom and lay down on the bed, they're like, okay, well, let's get back up and go to the toilet. And I was like, I honestly can't move. Like, I think my body just went into shock. 
I was like a turtle on my back. I was like, I would have no idea how to get up off this position. <laughs> mm, yeah. Um, and so then I went and sat on the toilet until the placenta came. But, like, I guess I didn't do any mental work or any mental preparation for the fact that there would still be, for a physiological third stage, like there would still be contractions to birth the placenta. And everyone that I had was just like, yeah, I just did not cope with those like I had coped with the labour, even though it's exactly the same. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It just felt completely – I just felt completely ripped off by it. <laughs> yeah, and I guess the point of the contractions is to birth the baby, and once you've got the baby, you know. what? Yeah, it was like, I'm done with this. <laughs> yeah. But it really didn't take very long to come, and they like, gave me a few, I don't know, disgusting tasting tinctures and stuff like that to help speed it up because I think they could tell I was not in for the long haul. <laughs> I was, like, ready to get that out. Mm. Um, and so it came out pretty quick and I think Luna had already started breastfeeding while I sat on the toilet but like they had taken some they've taken some photos and stuff like that and my face in the photos of that whole time is just pretty much screwed up and not enjoying a single second of it yeah Um, which is just the polar opposite to the labour when I was you know chit-chatting and having conversations about how to heat up towels in between the contractions I was yeah just in a completely different headspace but Mm. Once the placenta was out, it sort of settled down, like, really quickly after that, and so that was fine. Yeah. And um, did you need to get the tear checked before you were able to kind of go back to bed after the placenta had come? Um, Lisa stitched it up um, when I was back, like, I pretty much was, like, sideways on the bed for her to do that, Mm. Um, which was also, like, quite uncomfortable just because of like where I tore like when you tear higher up there's so many like nerve endings and things like that so even like putting in the local anesthetic for her to do the stitches was like I found it excruciating just to have anything touching that whole area Mm. so I like passed the baby off to Andrew so I could just focus on the stitches and sort of get through that um and yeah, I've got no idea how long it took. It felt like it took her about three weeks to do it, but I'm sure it actually didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, with the stitches, they actually, weirdly, they were dissolvable stitches and I had torn on both sides of my labia, but only half of them, like one side, the stitches didn't dissolve at all. Oh. Yeah, so about a week, maybe a bit under a week later, I had been feeling absolutely fine and I was gone for a walk and then the next day I woke up and I was like oh my god like something's gone seriously wrong and the stitches were actually like my body was trying to push them out so they had all completely moved spots from where she put them in and so my 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 husband and I we sterilized some scissors and he had to cut out the ones that he could cut out and then we had to drive to Hillsville because I was like I couldn't even sit in the car with how painful it was that day so then he got out ones that he could and then we drove out to see the midwives at Hillsville for them to like quickly get rid of the other ones mm, wow that's so strange if they're literally like the same the same yeah. stitches exactly and one side dissolved and one side didn't yeah yeah, yeah very strange and um yeah you mentioned that you started breastfeeding while you were still waiting for the placenta to come on the toilet how was how was your breastfeeding experience yeah, it was good. She was like a hungry baby right from the very beginning. 
Um, and for that, because I gave birth in the morning that whole day, we just sort of spent in bed and we didn't really tell anyone that we had the baby until the afternoon. So we just, I don't think we even put a nappy on her until the afternoon. We just were pretty much skin to skin with her in bed all day. And whenever she looked hungry, she would feed. And I think when they left, when the midwives left, they were like, oh, if she hasn't fed by like, I don't know, 9 p.m., make sure you feed her then. When it got to 9 p.m., I was like, can I? I was like, I think I've fed her six times, like, since they left. <laughs> um, and that first night she she had a really bruised, like, back of her head, I guess just from how fast she came out. But she screamed pretty much nonstop for about six hours unless there was a boob in her mouth and we I didn't move one muscle in her body. <laughs> Oh, gosh, that's so hard after you've just had that birth too. Oh, so hard. And we just I was like, no, no, this happens on night two or night three when they want the milk. This doesn't happen on night one. Like, Yeah, where's my hibernation sleep? Ripped off. <laughs> totally ripped off. <laughs> and, you know, we had had like once we told everyone, I've got a really big family, and so we ended up having most of my family around that night for takeaway and a million people had held her and it was like an amazing night and such a celebration of her birth like it was perfect but she probably went a few a bit too long without being fed because she was being cuddled by everyone and it was loud and overwhelming they left and she just completely lost the plot yes babies do yeah um and so she never even like she didn't she never lost any weight or anything like that like she just yeah, started stacking weight on straight away because my milk came in so fast because she fed so much in that first 24 hours. But she was a really quick breastfeeder after that. Like her feeds would only ever be five or ten minutes. And, yeah, I fed her until literally the day I found out I was pregnant with this baby. She self-weaned. Oh, wow. Yeah. 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 How many weeks are you now? Um, like 24 Okay, yeah. yeah. Yeah, amazing. And, um, yeah, how was that? Um, how was your postpartum with Luna? What were the first kind of few weeks and months like? They were amazing. I know that, like, it would go against any one of the, like, traditional sort of cultural things around birth, but we had people around pretty much every day or we were out with her every day and it was just this massive celebration and we were completely surrounded by friends and family, like, and that was what made it so special for us. So, like, when I read things about people not wanting visitors or not wanting, um, like, pressure to go out places and things like that, that was just, yeah, the total opposite of our experience in that we were so social but we just loved sharing her with all the other important people in our life. Um, mm. And she pretty quickly... I think on the second night she maybe fed for an hour and slept for an hour and I felt like that was amazing in comparison to the first night. And then after that she pretty quickly settled into just yeah, having a few feeds every night and she would wake up, have her feed and pretty much go straight back to sleep. So we felt like physically pretty good and um, like super well supported, especially like about my other midwife friends, they all knew exactly what, I would need and it made me realize that I have never given people the right sort of practical support after they have a baby because I would wake up to meals on my doorstep pretty much every morning for weeks and yeah like oh I just got given the exact support that I needed mm. yeah it's amazing and 
like I think it takes going through that experience to really understand what people need. Oh, totally. I've made so many meals for women that have had babies mm. since I had Luna. I'm like, you're pregnant? Quick, I'll start cooking. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, um, and I was wondering um, this time around, having had such a such a very fast first birth with this pregnancy, is there anything that you're kind of doing differently to prepare for um, what what may be another quick one? No, I think we went into it last time with the mentality of like you don't want to prepare for a fast labour and because all my sisters had had quite fast labours as well um, and her head was so low and everything like that, everyone was sort of looking like I would have a fast labour but I think it's better to prepare for the long haul and then be pleasantly surprised <laughs> if it's quicker. But this time definitely we will just fill up the birth pool from the very beginning. I've learned my lesson with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Not that I was super fixated on having a water birth last time anyway, but um, I would have, I guess, liked the option to labour in it for longer um, without worrying about those spar jets. <laughs> um, yeah. And I keep trying to – we keep laughing that I'm trying to manifest going into labour in the morning on a proper daycare day because <laughs> – <laughs> I'm like, then we could just call Lisa and Robbie around at the very first moment. And, like, I really didn't want to feel observed when I was in labour. Like, I didn't want them, I didn't want to feel like they were just waiting around for me to have the baby. And I still feel like that now. Like, you know, people have been like, oh, what would you do differently? And to make sure the midwives were there. And honestly, you wouldn't do anything differently. And, like, Lisa was laughing because she'd been texting me offering to come. And I was like, no, 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 don't come. But... We honestly didn't need them at that point and it was nice just labouring by ourselves and even, you know, I didn't even, for a lot of it, I didn't really feel like I needed Andrew there. So, like, he was only awake for maybe an hour or an hour and a half before the baby was born. So, yeah, I guess we're just trying to manifest <laughs> the daycare situation so that they can come and then we thought that well, there's a there's a nice cafe around the corner from us so they can come and set up and then go to the cafe and come back for the birth <laughs> mm, that's probably a good idea just close by and yeah and they, come, but not in your space yeah and it's so silly because it, you know it's we've got a big enough house they wouldn't be it would never feel like they were just observing me and they wouldn't you know they would never make me feel like that but I guess from being in tiny little hospital rooms and having to stay there for one-to-one -one care with women who have complications and things like that. And I guess as a hospital midwife for me, that's like the one thing that I've really taken away if I don't want someone just sort of standing or hovering right there waiting for me to have the baby. Mm, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, thank you so much for sharing your story. You'll have to come back on and um, and share your story after this little baby's born if you're happy to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> It'd be lovely. <laughs> Perfect. Well, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening to today's episode with Alice. Don't forget to head over to Instagram to see that breastfeeding video I mentioned at the start and follow the Keep Birth Wild page on Instagram to keep updated with new episodes and other birthy stuff. If you're loving the show, please follow the link in the show notes to find out more about how you can support the podcast through Patreon. I look forward to bringing you another episode next week.